ஓசோமாசமய தமசோமாஜோதிர்கமய மத்தியோர்மாமய லீடர்ஸ் ஃப்ரம் த அன்ரியல் டு த ரியல் லீடர்ஸ் ஃப்ரம் டார்க்னஸ் டு லைட் லீடர்ஸ் ஃப்ரம் டெத் டு இம்மார்டாலிட்டி ஓம் பீஸ் 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 பி அன் டு அஸ் பீஸ் பி அன் டு ஆல் friends the subject for today's service is the power of holy company holy company is stressed in all faiths all religions in all ways leading to god realization that's because the mind is oriented in a particular way to turn it toward god toward our true nature which is divine needs effort and we need potent help from outside too and that is where holy company comes in we'll see today the benefits of holy company and what are the different forms of holy company that we can have glorifying the benefits of holy company there is a wonderful verse in sanskrit which says by holy company satsanga we cultivate detachment nissanga satsangatve nissangatvam when we cultivate holy company we grow in detachment and when we grow in detachment we become freed of delusion and when we become freed of delusion the knowledge of the truth remains steady the mind doesn't waver there's no delusion the knowledge of the truth is imprinted in the mind the mind becomes very steady and when the mind is very steady on the spiritual truth that means freedom while living jivan mukti nischala tatve jivan mukti so holy company can transform anyone even the worst sinner we find in the important hymn bhajagovindam composed by shri shankaracharya holy company extolled thus kshanamapi sajjana sangati reka bhavati bhavarnava tarane nauka even a moment of holy company can free us from this ocean of relative existence it can serve as a raft this holy company a moment's holy company can serve as a raft that can take us across this relative existence to god god who dwells in us we find this the truth of this that mean the power of holy company exemplified in a number of uh, people associated with maybe from the puranas or even in the recent past just about 125 years back shri ramakrishna was born in 1836 and he lived 50 years till 1886 and his disciples both monastic and lay disciples started coming to him in the year 1881 now we'll see the transformation that took place in mahendranath gupta m the author of the gospel of shri ramakrishna when we study the gospel i mean when we study m's life especially we see that he was in such a difficult state of mind because of domestic quarrels misunderstandings he thought of ending his life that was his mindset 
he happened to come to Sri Ramakrishna and that is the first meeting you see in the gospel Sri Ramakrishna telling him when by hearing the name of Hari once you have tears in your eyes Sandhya drops away and then Sandhya merges in Gayatri Gayatri merges in Om that was the first teaching first glimpse of Sri Ramakrishna that M had and then on you see in the gospel what a great transformation took place in M a person who was going to end his life became a teacher of people he carried Sri Ramakrishna's teachings to others he was a source of inspiration not only to other householders but also to some of the sadhus in the Ramakrishna order monks who lived during M's time they visited him and then drank from him the teachings of Sri Ramakrishna and how infectious this holy company was with M we see in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna itself it refers to the fourth meeting M had with Sri Ramakrishna no sooner had M entered the room than the master laughed aloud and said to the boys there he has come again they all joined in the laughter M bowed low before him and took a seat before this he had saluted the master with folded hands like one with an english education but that day he learned to fall down at the master's feet in orthodox hindu fashion presently the master explained the cause of his laughter to the devotees he said a man once fed a peacock with a pill of opium at 4 o'clock in the afternoon the next day exactly at that time the peacock came back it had felt the intoxication of the drug and returned just in time to have another dose so m started coming even in the first meeting which was very brief m felt like coming back shri ramakrishna also said come again m felt he had come to the right place he felt as if shukadeva that great sage who was free free while living even before birth he was so perfect m thought that shukadeva himself was addressing the devotees before him so that was how powerful holy company was with regard to m and now we'll see what are the benefits of holy company but before that we need just take note of one important point when we discuss holy company we also need to be careful to avoid evil company unless we avoid that any kind of holy company doesn't bear fruit there is a beautiful verse in sanskrit which says it is far better to roam in the forest with the hill tribes than to live with fools even in heaven so people who don't see eye to eye with us people whose values are different they won't do us any good if we continue to associate with them when we are spiritual seekers we need to exercise caution in not associating with those whose ideals are different whose values are different so that's why this verse very powerfully says it's far better to roam in the forest with hill tribes than to live with fools even in heaven that means if we don't get company we shouldn't seek the company of these unwise people that is one thing we need to take note of because there are some people who are constituted in a way that they won't be able to live without some company man woman if not anything else just chat some people cannot remain without chatting with others they need some company that's what makes sitting in meditation a nightmare for many people because i need to talk to someone i need to have someone with me all the time and when there is no one i begin talking to myself not in an outward way but i keep thinking so many random thoughts arise in the mind none of them useful for my spiritual pursuit but so many random thoughts so that is it we shouldn't seek the company of unwise things 
weakening thoughts if we don't get good company outside that's what requires training swami turiyananda shri ramakrishna's disciple says that not consciously thinking good thoughts but thinking to ourselves all kinds of useless thinking amounts to talking to ourselves we keep talking to ourselves we keep thinking about someone some imaginary conversation we may have with others or just think about something that has happened in our lives it amounts to talking to ourselves swami turiyananda says all this is useless when we are alone instead of talking to ourselves like this with useless thoughts much better it would be to repeat the divine name so that's an important point to be noted before we discuss the benefits of holy company now we find from the gospel of shri ramakrishna shri ramakrishna explaining the benefits of holy company a devotee asks shri ramakrishna then what is the way sir master prayer and the company of holy men you cannot get rid of an ailment without the help of a physician but it is not enough to be in the company of religious people only for a day you should constantly seek it for the disease has become chronic again you cannot understand the pulse rightly unless you live with a physician moving with him constantly you learn to distinguish between the pulse of phlegm and the pulse of bile devotee what is the good of holy company shri ramakrishna it begets yearning for god it begets love of god nothing whatsoever is achieved in spiritual life without yearning by constantly living in the company of holy men the soul becomes restless for god there is another benefit from holy company it helps one cultivate discrimination between the real and the unreal god alone is real that is to say the eternal substance and the world is unreal that's to say transitory so there are two things that shri ramakrishna explains here one is yearning for god association with the holy those of relays god those who are treading this path makes us reflect on the fact that god alone is real everything else is relatively unreal they are real considering that they are perceivable by the senses but they are not really real god alone is real that is the first benefit so we grow in this longing for god yearning for god we try to practice spiritual discipline and we try to detach ourselves from things that are not conducive to god realization and the second is discrimination discrimination between the real and the unreal trying to sift the unreal from the real taking hold of real and giving up the unreal holy company also fosters renunciation in us when we have this yearning and discrimination discrimination is followed by renunciation dispassion dispassion for ephemeral things and love for god there is another benefit in holy company shri ram krishna says besides there are errors in different paths everyone thinks his watch is right but as a matter of fact no watch is absolutely right but that does not hamper one's work if a man is restless for god he gains the company of sadhus and as far as possible corrects his own watch with the sadhus help so that's an important help when we are in a holy company we grow in introspection we try to turn the the mind upon ourselves we try to turn the focus on ourselves the mind is always outward directed we know much more about others than about ourselves we hardly know anything about ourselves but considering ourselves as the yardstick we know about others we criticize others we judge others he should be like this she should be like this the mind is so much outward directed so holy company makes us 
introspective. And when we grow in introspection, we begin to be aware of our own weakness. And then we begin to pray to God, we begin to work on ourselves, and we strengthen our character. So holy company is a great help in making us introspective. Mere study and self-analysis does not lead us to this. What can take years together, what can take so many experiences, so many blows from this world to effect a little transformation in us gets reduced, gets minimized with holy company. When we open ourselves to holy company, we begin to reflect on our own, our own shortcomings. We don't become pessimistic, we don't begin to curse ourselves, but we understand the need to shift the focus from outside on others, gossip and all that, and try to turn the focus on ourselves. Holy Mother says, if you want peace of mind, my child, don't find faults in others. Rather, try to see your own faults. Learn to make the whole world your own, says Holy Mother. None is a stranger, my child. The whole world is your own. So a spiritual seeker is able to grow in this introspection quickly in holy company. And the next advantage of holy company is we are able to know the essence of scriptures. There is a beautiful verse in Sanskrit which underlines the importance of this knowing the essence of scriptures. Ananta Shastram Bahuveditavyam Alpashchakalo Bahavascha Vignaha Yatsarabhutam Tadupasitavyam Hamso Yatha Kshiramivambu Mishram Infinite are the scriptures to be studied. Very short is the time, and too many are the hurdles. The essence of the scriptures is to be grasped like the swan separating the milk from a mixture of milk and water. So there are so many things to be learned. Sometimes in scripture you need to wade through a lot of wooded area before you come across a sandalwood tree before you come across some gem. So Sri Ramakrishna time and again mentions in the gospel, holy company helps us understand the essence of scriptures. When we try to understand the Upanishads and the Gita without any commentary whatsoever, we certainly get some understanding. With traditional commentaries, Sri Shankaras, Sri Ramanujas, Sri Madhvas, we get a little more understanding. But again, to understand those commentaries, we need to have grounding in Nyaya, Sankhya, Yoga, at least some principles of these other systems of Indian philosophy. Granted that we have that background also, we get a particular understanding. But still, some passages from the scriptures must remain inexplicable. It may not make any sense. At least it may not have any contemporary relevance when we study some of these commentaries. But when we try to study the Upanishads, the Gita, in the light of Sri Ramakrishna's life, in the light of Swami Vivekananda's exposition of these truths, we get new light. We begin to understand what's important and what can be left alone. We won't be able to study all the scriptures. We won't be able to assimilate all of them. Assimilate even one or two teachings is a far cry. So our goal is not to become scholars by studying the scriptures, but to grow in discrimination, to keep the mind on an acceptably higher plane, and to make the mind goal-oriented. That is where the study of scriptures is a great help. Study of scriptures. Scriptures refer not only to the Gita, the Upanishads, the Brahma Sutras, the Viveka Chodamani, and other traditional works, but also teachings of those who have realized God. Study of the lives of saints. Studying their teachings. 
the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna. Swami Vivekananda's complete works, the teachings of the disciples and the other disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother. All this, when we systematically study as a spiritual discipline, we get great help. We'll come to that when we discuss different forms of Holy Company. So, Holy Company helps us understand the essence of the scriptures. Just as a swan, we are able to separate the milk from a mixture of milk and water. Sri Ramakrishna says, What will you achieve by mere study of the scriptures? The scriptures contain a mixture of sand and sugar. As it were, it is extremely difficult to separate the sugar from the sand. Therefore, one should learn the essence of the scriptures from the teacher or from a sadhu. The next advantage of holy company is it is a great antidote to egotism and worldliness. We make too much of our ego. This ego, we make too much of our capacity to, to manipulate things, manipulate men, manipulate matter to further our ends. The ego that derives its sustenance from ephemeral things, from other bodies, from other things, inanimate things, which we consider to be our own. So that ego, it makes us egotistic. And when people don't believe in God, they believe only in the body. Sri Krishna describes in the Gita, in the 16th chapter of the Gita, divine qualities and demonic qualities. Demons, we don't need to go to the Puranas. When we are body worshippers, we are demons. That's the simplest definition. The body is all, nothing else. So they say, there is no divinity. It's only by combination of two bodies that this birth becomes possible. And make hay while the sun shines. That's all. That is the attitude of people with demonic qualities. So, that makes them arrogant. What I don't know, I know everything. Who is to tell me? That kind of ego. It's not faith in ourselves, because faith in ourselves means faith in our higher self. This is just obstinately clinging to this ego, this unripe ego. So holy company is a great antidote to this ego. Trying to think too much of ourselves, too much of our our little intellect, trying to think too much of our opinions. We don't need to accept any and every opinion we hear, but we need to find out certain things for ourselves. And we cannot learn, we cannot find out things if the mind is closed. I've been doing this for 25 years, don't I know? The question itself has the answer. Transpose, I don't know. That kind of a close mindset doesn't help us learn. Sri Ramakrishna says, as long as I live, so long do I learn. Of course, the reference is to spiritual truths. There is no end to spiritual experiences. There is no end to spiritual knowing. But it is equally true in the empirical field. As long as I live, so long do I learn. We need to be open-minded. That open-mindedness and this freedom from this obstinate ego becomes possible with holy company. And it's also a great antidote to worldliness. Worldliness means living a life prompted by desire. Sri Shankara mentions three things in his commentaries. Avidya, Kama and Karma. Avidya is ignorance. Ignorance of the fact that I am divine. I am not the body. I am not the mind. I am the self. And in that divine core of my being is infinite bliss. I don't need to go for this ephemeral happiness outside. So, that infinite bliss is inside. Not knowing that is avidya. Avidya is opposite to vidya. That means ignorance. Ignorance gives rise to desire. Desire for happiness, desire for enjoyment. 
I am ignorant of the fact that my own true nature is infinite bliss. Because of that ignorance, I desire happiness outside, through the five senses. And when desire arises in the mind, I act in fulfillment of the desire. Svavidya leads to desire, karma. Karma leads to karma. Karma is action. Ignorance leads to desire. Desire leads to action. And every desire-prompted action will only thicken our ignorance. So that's a vicious circle. Ignorance, desire, action, more ignorance, more desire, more action. Thus it revolves. And that is the cycle of samsara. Every desire-prompted action ensures that we are in the cycle of birth and death, birth and death continuously. So the link has to be broken at the level of desire. So that is worldliness, acting prompted by desire and being more and more mired in ignorance. Holy company is an antidote to this worldliness. Sri Ramakrishna says, It is good to live in the company of holy men. Now and then, the disease of worldliness has become chronic in man. It is mitigated to a great extent in holy company. Now we see different forms of holy company. We saw the different benefits. Holy company. The first is the company of illumined souls, people who have realized God. There is a beautiful verse in the Bhagavata which describes the glories of Sri Krishna. The verse goes like this. Holy sages are the greatest purifiers. Holy waters, etc. take a long time to purify the soul. But contact with the holy man frees one from impurity in no time. And these holy men make the holy places holy, for they carry the divine being in their hearts. There is also an aphorism in Narada Bhakti Sutra, Narada's way of divine love. Tirthi Kuruvanti Tirthani That means, these people, holy people, who realize God, they make places of pilgrimage holy by their visit. In India, there are so many such temples, especially in the south, which are as old as, there are so many centuries old, and some of these temples are known for visits by great Shaiva saints, Nayanmars, and then the Vaishnava saints, Alvars. So when they go to these places, they fill these places with their own divine vibrations. And that is what we study in the Narada Bhakti Sutras. When great souls, people who have realized God, go to temples, they purify these places. They add to the spiritual vibrations of these places. Holy waters, etc. take a long time to purify the soul, but contact with the holy man frees one from impurity in no time. And these holy men make the holy places holy, for they carry the divine being in their hearts. So we've already seen study of the life of Sri Ramakrishna, studying the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother and teachings of Swami Vivekananda and the other direct disciples of Sri Ramakrishna that can give us this holy company. That's because, of course, we'll discuss it separately. Because we didn't live during the time of Sri Ramakrishna. In a way, we can say we are not fortunate to be born at that time. But when we study the gospel, with the devotion to Sri Ramakrishna, we can really relive what is being recorded there. We can imagine ourselves as one among those who sat at the feet of Sri Ramakrishna. About this company of element souls, there is a beautiful incident recorded in the Bhagavata. It illustrates two things. One is, the right time should come for holy company. When we get holy company, it's not our own doing, but it is God's grace on us. And 
The second point that we get from this incident is the mind should be prepared at least to a certain extent to seek holy company. If the mind is full of worldliness, there is no need for holy company. People can only criticize holy people and it is true that there are different grades of holy people and there could also be some people with questionable character but completely dismissing everything and focusing our attention on the world doesn't help us in any way. So this incident relates to Parikshit. Parikshit was the son of Abhimanyu. All of us know Arjuna. Arjuna in the Gita, one of the five Pandava brothers. Arjuna had a son called Abhimanyu and this Abhimanyu was slain in this Kurukshetra battle in a deceitful way. He didn't have any arms with him, all his weapons had dropped down and people just killed him when he was without weapons, which was not the rule of the righteous war. But when Abhimanyu died, his wife Uttara was carrying his child and that child was Parikshit. And Yudhishthira, Yudhishthira and, and his other four brothers, after they renounced the kingdom and went to forest, this Parikshit ascended the throne and he was a noble king. He ruled. He ruled the kingdom. And the story goes that he was passing through a dense forest once, this Parikshit. And he was very thirsty. He couldn't find any water reservoir nearby. And then, as he was wading through this forest, he saw a holy man sitting in deep meditation. This Parikshit asked him. The sage was having his eyes closed, he was in deep meditation. But this Parikshit asked him if he knew of any water reservoir nearby, any well, any tank. But since this holy man was deeply absorbed in contemplation, he was completely dead to the outside world. There is no response. This Parikshit, somehow, that's what you say, Vinashakale Viparita Buddhi. When bad time has come, Buddhi takes leave of us. It becomes perverted. Tamasic Buddhi sees the right as wrong, the wrong as right. What is to be done, it sees as what is to be relinquished, like that. When he asks this holy man about some water source and there is no response, he felt insulted. He thought this holy man deliberately didn't give him a reply. So as if to insult him back, he saw a dead snake nearby, lifted it with his bow and put it around the neck of this holy man just to insult him. That snake was not going to bite him. And he went his way. Then after some time, the sage's son comes there, sees this insult heaped on his father, takes out the snake and then says, he cries toward the heaven. My father was faultless. My father didn't do any mistake. Whoever has inflicted this insult on my father will be killed by a snake bite within seven days. That was his curse. And he was such a noble soul. Parikshit came to know of this. Now the real, the real stuff in him comes out. He was born in the lineage of the Pandavas, all of whom were devoted to God. He was actually Arjuna's grandson. So his good samskaras began to work now. He began to understand his folly in insulting this sage. And immediately, he took to the company of holy people. He summoned the holy ones from different places, spent his time in their company, and then he asked them to be taught about God. See, that is the mindset of that Parikshit. He didn't go to settle scores with that sage or his son or how to get rid of this curse. He knew. His was a mistake. And this was a curse. This curse was going to prove true. Within seven days, he was going to be killed by a snake. Snake bite. 
And then comes Shuka, Shukadeva, Vyasa's son, who was supposed to be free, pure to his very marrow, pure to his marrow right from his birth. So when Shuka comes there, this Parikshit, he tells him, O illumined sage, by your grace, we have been blessed by your holy company. By remembering holy sages, the homes of devotees are purified at once. What then can be said of seeing you, having contact with you, washing your feet, offering you a seat, and rendering personal service to you? I request to hear from you, O Great One, what is the way? How should one perform worship and contemplate the Lord? Seeing the king's desperation, his sincerity, firm resolve, renunciation, and dispassion, Shukadeva became pleased and taught him the way to enlightenment. So this is holy company. This Parikshit was a noble king, and he made this mistake. He knew that he had to die within seven days. He didn't become completely crestfallen. He didn't just curse himself and then he didn't go and sit in a corner. But he knew, I have only seven days to live. I need to live this life filling my mind with thoughts of God. So that is holy company. The right time, the right time should come. So this particular incident drove this Parikshit to the company of Shuka. And Shuka, from that time onward, starts narrating the glory of the Bhagavata to him. The entire Bhagavata is what Shuka taught this Parikshit. That Purana which details the glories of Lord Krishna. The Bhagavata is known to be a scripture which teaches both knowledge and devotion. In Sri Ramakrishna's language, the Bhagavata is a scripture that is soaked in the syrup of love and fried in the butter of knowledge. That is the Bhagavata. So, holy company, the right time should come. And there is another point to be noted here. We need to develop the capacity to benefit from holy company, capacity to receive. How many people were in contact with Sri Ramakrishna during his lifetime? The treasurer in the office, the clerk in the office, there are so many other people. There are so many other priests in the different temples in the temple complex. They all saw Sri Ramakrishna as another priest. Some of them took Sri Ramakrishna to be uh, an insane person. But people like M underwent transformation in just one meeting. So we need to cultivate this capacity to receive. Sri Ramakrishna says in the gospel, you find in two or three occasions, the holy man's kamandalu, kamandalu is a water pot which the holy man carries with him. The holy man's kamandalu goes with him to all the places of pilgrimage but doesn't lose its bitterness. Because it's with the holy man, the kamandalu does not undergo any transformation. So, we need to cultivate the capacity to receive and getting this holy company, company of a realized soul especially, is a great rarity. In the Narada Bhakti Sutras, Narada says that this company of a great soul is very rare to get and it's possible only with God's grace. You also find this in the Viveka Sudamani. Sri Shankara says, three things are very rare in this life. First is a human body. That's very rare. Second is the desire for liberation. The desire to know God. That's rare. And the third is company of a realized soul, company of a Mahapurusha. And Sri Shankara says, Daiva Nugraha Hetukam. These three human birth, desire for liberation, and the company of a realized soul, these three become possible only by God's grace. When the right time comes, God's grace is on us all the time. But our own 
some of our samskaras, our impressions. When it reaches the right, you can say right value, when the right time comes, we're able to sense God's grace in our own lives and transformation takes place. So the first company is Company of a Realized Soul. Company of a Realized Soul, we have seen it is very hard to get, very rare. But of course, we can definitely get company of those who are also struggling in this way, who have made advances in this pathway to God-realization. The second company is the company of our own chosen ideal, Ishta Devata. We worship God. We are taught to worship God with a form that infinite reality has assumed this divine form for our sake. We are asked to repeat a divine name, meditate on a divine form. So when we do it regularly, when we do our spiritual practices regularly, it becomes a powerful holy company. Because getting physical holy company may not be possible all the time. But when we are regular with our spiritual practices, our own ishta can be our company. And not only during the times of meditation, even during other times, when we have a picture of the form we worship, we can cultivate the habit of talking to that ideal, looking upon that ideal as our own father, our own mother, someone very close to us, not God sitting somewhere beyond the clouds ready to punish me if I go astray. No, but he is closer to me than the closest he is like my father, like my mother, just near me, in the core of my heart. He is witness to my thoughts and actions. I just need to only turn within and then pray. So that kind of a faith. And talking to Orishta, reporting what we did, what we are going to do, seeking God's help. And when something is done well, something has happened well, thanking God for whatever has happened. And if something has not turned out the way we expected it to, reporting it to God, not to complain, but this is how it is. Please grant me the wisdom. Please grant me that sense of balance to take things as they are. Mine is to do my best. I leave the results to you. That's the attitude of a spiritual seeker. So, cultivating the company of our own chosen ideal during meditation and during other times, trying to remind ourselves that we are working for the Lord, trying to think of God, trying to talk to God. It need not be articulated all the time. A silent yearning can be a very powerful prayer. And the third type of company is the company of God's holy name, the divine name. God is not very real to us. God is the only reality. But right now, God is not that real to us. We don't say the body is the only reality because we are spiritual seekers. We try to understand that the body is impermanent. We need to grow in devotion to God. I am some entity different from the body, different from the mind. Yet I am not sure what I am. I am not this mind. I am able to understand that. I am not able to practice it all the time, but I am able to understand that in theory. The mind doesn't help me in my pursuits. So I am some entity imprisoned by the body and the mind, struggling at the same time to orient myself toward God. So this kind of a thing is the reality now. God is not real now. But the name is real. Japa, when we do Japa, the divine name, that's very real. We can repeat the divine name. We can listen to the divine name as we repeat, silently. We are always taught to repeat the divine name inaudibly. Not even moving our lips or moving the tongue, but repeating it inside. So that name is real. So we need to remember while repeating God's name that God and his name are not different. Nama and Nami are the same. 
Nami means one who is indicated by the Nama, which is the name. So I need to repeat the divine name with this faith that God and his name are not different. Sri Ramakrishna assures us that when we systematically repeat God's name with longing in our heart, that will definitely lead us to God-realization. He gives this example. You have a chain and the one end of the chain is in your hands and the other end is fastened to a brick submerged in water. Now, if you traverse link by link from your end, ultimately that will lead you to that brick which is tied to the other end. Similarly, this link by link is repeating the divine name. You repeat the divine name, it will ultimately lead you to God-realization. That is what Sri Ramakrishna taught. So when we repeat the divine name, we need to feel that we are in the company of God. We are always in the company of the mind. When we repeat the divine name, when we try to do japa, the mind is so restless sometimes, especially for a beginner. It's difficult to be even conscious that we are doing japa. But somehow, we try to struggle. The mind keeps going from one thing to another. From this place to some other place, taking us along with it. But a fraction of the mind keeps repeating the name. That doesn't mean automatic japa. It is just unconscious japa, nothing more. The mind keeps on going somewhere, everywhere, and we think we are doing a japa japa that is far from truth. It's only unconscious japa. Instead of identifying ourselves with the mind and trying to struggle to get rid of that mind, we can try this for a change. We are repeating the divine name and the divine name is with us. We are with the divine name. I'm not identifying myself with the mind now. I'm trying to identify myself with the name, thinking that I am with God, God is with me. I don't need to worry about the mind. I don't need to worry about anything. This slight shift in focus can qualitatively improve our japa and grow us in intensity. And Sri Ramakrishna says, we need to cultivate this attitude while doing japa. Faith in the God's name and having this faith, I have repeated the name of God. How can I be weak anymore? How can I be bad anymore? How can I sin anymore? That kind of a faith. God is with me. I am repeating God's name. I am growing in purity because God is the greatest purifier. How can I be weak? What should I need to be afraid of? Uncertainties in life. Some imaginary fears. I don't need to worry about all that. Because if I believe in God, if I repeat God's name, I should have this faith that God will provide me whatever I need. And what God will also provide me, the strength. He'll give me the strength necessary to go through whatever is in store for me. So that kind of a faith, repeating God's name and thinking that we are with that name, the name is with us, instead of identifying with the mind, identifying with the name, trying to be one with the name, will help us leave the mind alone. So that is as good as having the company of our chosen ideal. But we try to distinguish it because one is related to the form and attributes and this is related to the name. And when we repeat the divine name consciously with devotion, in due course it acts as some kind of a shield against the mind against all the thoughts arising in the mind. They call it in Sanskrit, mantra kavacha. Kavacha, kavacha means shield. When we repeat the name, the name is with us, we are with the name. And the mind is left alone, the mind is outside. The mind cannot penetrate into this. Of course, that's a very advanced stage, but we get the point. Instead of identifying with the mind and trying to struggle to extricate ourselves from it, trying to think that we are one with the name, the name is with us, we are in the company of the name, will help us in focusing our mind to God, 
rather than being swept off by random thoughts. Next is the company of scriptures. Scriptures and the teachings of holy men. Physical company may not be always possible. So we can do japa. We can meditate. But that again is not possible all the time. If it is possible, fine. If someone has intense yearning for God and can spend hours together in spiritual practice, such a person may not need holy company. Their very intense longing can see them through. But for all others, holy company of some sort is required to intensify their longing, intensify their movement, accelerate their movement toward God. So study of scriptures, we saw before. Study of scriptures in the light of Sri Ramakrishna's teachings. In the light of Swami Vivekananda's teachings. Helps us understand the true import of scriptures. Sri Ramakrishna says, The true teaching of the scriptures is, God alone is real, everything is unreal. He gives the example of a person who wrote a letter to his friend asking him to procure some things. And when the other person read the list, number one this, number two this, number three this, these are the things to be procured. He threw away the list. He went about procuring those items. Similarly, the scripture teaches that our true nature is divine. We are not the body. We are not the mind. But we are the soul. We are eternal. We are self-effulgent. We are self-conscious. The scripture teaches us this. And God dwells in the hearts of all beings. So all this we study from the scriptures. And when we get the interpretation of the scriptures, passages in the scriptures, from the teachings of some element souls, we get new light. We get new inspiration. We get more of enthusiasm for our spiritual practice. So regular study of some of these teachings, the Gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, the Gita, the Chandi, the teachings of the disciples of Sri Ramakrishna, Swami Turiyananda's teachings, Mahapurushmara's teachings for seekers of God. These books are full of teachings which deal with prayer, prayer to God, for devotion, for illumination, for dispassion. So making this a habit, not just reading when the mind wants it, but making such study a part of a spiritual practice, is a great help because there is no less potent a holy company. So that is the study of the scriptures. That is one form of holy company. The next is the company of devotees. People who are devoted to God, people who consider that God-realization as a goal to be attained in the midst of everything else, but that is uppermost. Being in their company also is holy company. If people are truly devoted, they won't spend their time in gossip. It can easily gravitate toward gossip. That is where our true spiritual aspiration comes. It comes into question. It comes into test. So company of devotees, Sri Krishna describes this most beautifully in an important verse in the 10th chapter of the Gita. Machitta madgata prana budhayantav parasparam how devotees of God behave, how they conduct themselves. Sri Krishna says, with their thought fixed on me, with their life absorbed in me, enlightening one another about me, and always conversing about me, they derive satisfaction and delight. And Sri Krishna tells Narada elsewhere, I live in that place where my devotees sing my name, sing my name and glories. So the Lord is present. The Lord is present where his devotees are. Sri Ramakrishna says, the devotee loves God, is attracted to God, even as the needle is attracted to a magnet. The devotee is the needle, 
God is the magnet. But at one stage, when the devotee is on the stage of advance, stage of devotion, parabhakti, God seeks the company of such devotees. For those devotees, nothing is of any consequence other than God. So God becomes a needle and the devotee, the magnet here. There is a beautiful incident in the life of Sri Krishna to illustrate the depths of the devotion of the gopis, his playmates in Vrindavan, cowardices. Once he had a severe headache. He was in Dwaraka and he had such a severe headache which no medicine could, could cure. But Sri Krishna said, if you make a paste of the dust of the feet of my devotees and apply it on my head, this headache will go away. Paste of the dust of his devotees to be applied on his forehead. This would go away. And people went about to Sri Krishna's devotees. None of them was prepared. The dust of your feet to be on the Lord's head, nothing can be more sacrilegious than that. Not for me. I don't know through how many hells I need to pass through for uh, doing this transgression. But they came to Vrindavan, to these gopis. They said Sri Krishna was suffering from headache and only the dust of a devotee's feet would cure him. All of them gave as much as they could, as much as these people could carry. Because Sri Krishna's health was uppermost in their mind. If he is going to get better, nothing is too great for me. So there, Sri Krishna was longing for these devotees. And these devotees had so much longing. They didn't worry about hell. They didn't worry about incurring sin. Nothing. They are only worried about their ideals, their Ishtadevata's health. If he is going to become well by this, I don't mind the consequences. So that is a very interesting, inspiring incident from the Bhagavata. And now the next form of holy company, the truest form of holy company, is the company of our own Atman, our own true nature. Holy company in Sanskrit is Satsanga. Satsanga, widely referred to as Satsang. In Hindi, Satsang, Marathi, Satsang, Sanskrit, Satsanga. Doesn't matter. Satsanga is composed of two words, Sat and Sangha. Sangha means company. Sat means the Atman. Sat, Chit, Ananda. Sat is infinite existence. That oneness of existence. Vedanta teaches that what exists is one. It appears as this manifold, this universe of names and forms. It appears as all of us, different beings. But what exists is one. It's not that there is spirit and matter is something different. It's only spirit appearing as matter because our own spirit is not real to us. So that one existence, Sat, it's also called as Chit, when you refer to it as infinite knowledge. It's also called Ananda, which means infinite bliss. So that Sat, Sangha, means company of our own Atman. Thinking of the Atman, thinking of our true nature. Not thinking that I am the body, I am the mind. I am weak, there are so many problems. Instead of that, I am the Atman. Swami Vivekananda says, Why do you weep, my friend? He improvised on a set of verses from the Avadhuta Gita. Swami Vivekananda says, Why do you weep, my friend? In you is all powers. Call forth the divine nature of yours. Summon those hidden powers within your soul. This entire world will be at your feet. All the three worlds will be at your feet. That means the world will be your slave, not you, the slave of the world. And then says Swamiji, That's because it's only the Atman, it's only the spirit that 
prevails, that predominates, not matter. So, abiding in the Atman. We have a beautiful verse in the Mahabharata which discusses the purifying power of abiding in the Self, the Atman. The river of the Atman is filled with the water of self-control. Truth is its current, righteous conduct its banks, and compassion its waves. O son of Pandu, bathe in its sacred water. Ordinary water does not purify the inmost soul. Swami Vivekananda wrote a beautiful letter to the Hale sisters, the Hale sisters in Chicago. He used to exchange correspondence with Mary Hale, Harriet Hale. So this letter he writes to sisters, dear sisters. This is a wonderful letter dated July 31st, 1894. Swami Vivekananda, you are good and noble. Instead of materializing the spirit, that is, dragging the spiritual to the material plane, as these folks do, convert the matter into spirit. Catch a glimpse, at least, every day, of that world of infinite beauty and peace and purity, the spiritual, and try to live in it day and night. I'll repeat this. Instead of materializing the spirit, catch a glimpse, at least, every day, of that world of infinite beauty and peace and purity, the spiritual, and try to live in it day and night. Seek not, touch not, with your toes even, anything that is uncanny. Let your souls ascend day and night, like an unbroken string, and to the feet of the beloved, whose throne is in your own hearts, and let the rest take care of themselves, that is, the body and everything else the body, mind and everything, this world, let them take care of themselves. But let your souls ascend day and night like an unbroken string unto the feet of the beloved whose throne is in your own hearts and let the rest take care of themselves. That is the body and everything else. Elsewhere Swami Vivekananda says, Life is evanescent, a fleeting dream. Youth and beauty fade, say day and night, Thou art my father, my mother, my husband, my love, my lord, my God. I want nothing but thee. Nothing but thee, nothing but thee. Thou in me, I in thee, I am thee. Thou art me. Wealth goes, beauty vanishes, life flies, powers fly. But the Lord abideth forever. Love abideth forever. If here is glory in keeping the machine in good trim, it is more glorious to withhold the soul from suffering with the body. That is the only demonstration of your being, not matter, by letting the matter alone. I'll repeat this. If here is glory in keeping the machine in good trim, keeping the body in good trim, it's more glorious to withhold the soul from suffering with the body. That is the only demonstration of your being, not matter, by letting the matter alone. So these are the different forms of holy company. And before we conclude, we'll consider the attitude to be adopted toward holy people. We find this from the Gita. In the Bhagavad Gita, Sri Krishna says, we need to approach the element soul and know the truth from them by three things, by a threefold discipline. First is humility, which expresses itself as salutation. Not just physical salutation, but humility. And the next is questioning a realized soul. And the next is rendering service. Rendering whatever service in whichever way we can. This questioning again, when we go to an element soul, when we go to a great soul, questioning should be done prompted by some real need within. Not to satisfy some academic interest, not to judge the holy person, not to compare his reply with some other reply we must have had, heard 
earlier. In short, not to assess the person, but to really know something. If the question comes out of that need, God will ensure that the answer also will come that can satisfy the question and effect some transformation. So Sri Krishna says three things. One is humility. Second is questioning. And third, rendering service in whichever way we can. But the best service that great souls say, the best service that we can render to our own teacher. Because this rendering physical service to our teacher is not possible for everyone. It may not be possible at all. But that doesn't need to discourage us. The best way we can serve our spiritual teacher is to follow his instructions faithfully. Instructions for spiritual life, repeating the divine name, and orienting our mind to God. So that way we'll be repaying our debt, if at all it can be repaid. We can repay our debt to our spiritual teacher with that, by being regular in our spiritual practices. So the points that we discussed today, we saw holy company is something very necessary for a spiritual seeker and the benefits of holy company are it instills in us yearning for God, discrimination between the real and the unreal. Holy company helps us correct our mistakes. It helps us grow in introspection. It gives us an idea about our own spiritual growth. Holy Company helps us understand the essence of the scriptures. We are able to grow in detachment, renunciation by Holy Company. And Holy Company is also a great antidote to worldliness and egotism. And among different forms of Holy Company, we saw the company of element souls and we saw that the right time must come. And we also saw that we need to cultivate that deserving. We need to cultivate ourselves. We need to prepare ourselves to benefit from holy company. Next is the company of our chosen ideal, Ishtadevata. And then the divine name. Looking upon the divine name as not different from God himself. Then the company of scriptures. Making it a habit. Study of scriptures, study of spiritual teachings as a part of our spiritual life. Not to gain scholarship, but to keep the mind on a higher plane. To fill ourselves with inspiration and enthusiasm for spiritual practice. So that's again a powerful holy company. Then we saw the company of devotees. Mutually, they can benefit each other. By being in company, thinking of God, practicing spiritual disciplines, having some common reading, kind of a study circle. And then we saw the most important holy company, it's Satsanga, company of the Atman itself. And we also saw that wonderful letter that Swami Vivekananda wrote to the Hail Sisters. He wants us to be in that divine realm, catch a glimpse at least every day into that divine nature. So that is the most potent holy company.